In the state of Madhya Pradesh, southeast of the capital of Bhopal, are the ancient Bimbetka Caves. This is a region that has been occupied for tens of thousands of years, which is no accident considering the nature that surrounds the area. The caves are nestled within dense forests and have been home to some of the earliest communities on the subcontinent. On their walls you see prehistoric paintings of birds, bison and people. We don't know a lot about early Indian society, but from the pictures we can see their relationship with the nature that surrounds them. The India we live in now is virtually unrecognizable from life in the era of the Bimbetka Caves. Over the past few decades, the country has urbanized rapidly and transformed into one of the fastest growing economies of the modern world. But our ancient connection with nature lives on through a wide range of traditions, religious beliefs, folklore and crafts. And although much has changed, nature is still the foundation of our economy. Nearly two-thirds of our population work in agriculture, and this doesn't include work in nature-dependent industries like mining, forestry, and even construction and pharmaceuticals. But duress has been building over time, and today it is accelerating. As India becomes increasingly urban and industrialized, we've seen an improved quality of life for so many of our people. But these changes have come at the cost of our natural ecosystems. And now there are signs that we are hitting a threshold. We're seeing soils lose their productivity, our air and water are more polluted, our aquifers are receding rapidly, and we're losing wild spaces. We're also living through unprecedented shifts in our climate, from intensifying cyclones battering India's coasts to sweltering heat waves, like the one that melted roads in Delhi in the summer of 2015. And as our lands transform, young people are being forced to leave their homes and villages to find work elsewhere. Scientists tell us that we have less than a decade to halt the trajectory we are on. This is a crucial decade, what the UN is calling the Decade on Ecosystem Restoration. It's an urgent cry for collective action to respond to the global ecosystem crisis. But it's not all bad news. There are examples of how we can reimagine growth, examples of how we can sustain ourselves while respecting the delicate balance of our ecosystems. A growing body of evidence points to nature-based solutions which demonstrate how the welfare of people and the welfare of our planet and biodiversity are linked. Nature-based solutions are built around the needs of local communities, honoring their rights and participation through collaborative solutions. In India, many of these solutions have been practiced for decades. So why have nature-based solutions, or NBS as they are often called, not been adopted to their potential? Welcome to Second Nature, a new look at India's climate future, a podcast series on the possibilities of nature-based solutions in India. This series is produced by the India Climate Collaborative and Edelgib Foundation Alliance. In this six-part series, we speak to practitioners, experts, leaders from the private sector and funders to learn how nature-based solutions can play a role in the goals that lie ahead of us climate action, community resilience, resource security, and biodiversity conservation. 
and we ask the important question, what kind of collaboration and investment do we need to scale these solutions? Episode 1 Rediscovering Natural Solutions In this first episode, we explore what nature-based solutions are, how they have evolved over time, and what it means to be nature-based. If the decades preceding this one were about the science behind climate action, building on the research and the information gap around climate action and what needed to be done, this really is the decade of action. Shloka Nath is the acting CEO of the India Climate Collaborative, or the ICC, a first-of-its-kind collective working to identify critical sectors that need investment and drive funding towards climate solutions. When it comes to global climate action, India has an important role to play. As the second most populous country in the world, and soon to be the first, India has huge resource demands which put pressure on its finite natural resources. Land, for example, is a critical resource in India, because not only does it provide food and livelihoods for over a billion people, it is also home to four of the world's 34 biodiversity hotspots, the Himalayan Belt, the Northeast region, the Western Ghats and the Nicobar Islands. However, in less than a decade, a third of India's land has been degraded, and that puts pressure on all of us that rely on this land for sustenance. At the same time, there are clear actions we can take to transform our development model. A report by the World Resources Institute in 2018 finds that in India, 18 million hectares of dense forest outside the protected area network can be protected and sustainably used. We could replenish our soil, secure our food systems, build resilience to climate risks and impact, and remove harmful greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. Imagine that! There's a growing realization across board that industrial agriculture served us really, really well when we were in an absolute food insecure situation. And that was way back in the 60s and 70s. But since then, it's led to the overexploitation of land. And we need to transition to more environmentally sensitive or agroecological approaches to cultivation. Rohini Chaturvedi is an independent consultant on climate change and the environment. She's also an advisor to the ICC. My work primarily involves thinking about ways in which we can scale forest and land-based actions to address pressing problems of our times, be they the climate crisis or extinction crisis, or even issues around food security and nutritional security. Rohini recently worked on a report with the ICC Edelgift Foundation Alliance called India Advancing with Nature, the State of Play on Nature-Based Solutions. It explores the current scenario around land-based NBS in India. The term NBS has emerged more recently in the context of climate change, but its scope goes far beyond. They target a broader set of goals, domestically and internationally, that can range from biodiversity conservation, green infrastructure, water and air quality management, to food security and disaster risk management. In India, a number of existing interventions can qualify as nature-based solutions, based on their principles and techniques. As Rohini explains, this means that these solutions look very similar to many initiatives implemented in the past. 
When we travel through northern India, especially western UP and Punjab, you know, we've come across these blocks of trees in the middle of farmlands. And they are plantations you can make out because the trees are all the same species growing in straight lines, usually of the same height, usually of the same girth. So you know that they've been planted at roughly the same time. This was part of a farm forestry project that happened in the 70s and the 80s. Natural farming techniques or agroecological approaches, as we call them, approaches that look at food cultivation in ways that also sustain the environment. A lot of traditional agriculture was about that. It was about minimal tillage. It was about leaving lands fallow, about good soils management, adding locally available manure, uh, whether it was from livestock or it was, you know, leaf litter. All of these techniques have been in practice. Essentially, the NBS umbrella includes all efforts to sustainably manage and restore ecosystems in ways that can solve social challenges. These solutions are holistic, which means they provide benefits for both people and biodiversity. As Rohini points out, these are traditional practices that go way back. These are approaches that you will see in many parts of the country, especially, say, for instance, in tribal societies. Their agriculture earlier, 20 years ago, we used to call it rudimentary, backward and, you know, subsistence because it only produced enough food for people to eat. And it was in many ways seen as an inefficient, ineffective way of farming. And today we are celebrating that under NBS because that is what we see as being more environmentally benign and more sustainable and also producing food that has better nutrition quality and which is what all of us want. 8% of the world's biodiversity is found in India on only 2.3% of the global land area. The Western Ghats are one of the oldest biodiversity hotspots of India. This mountain range, which spans an area of 60,000 square kilometers, is home to at least 325 globally threatened species. But in these Ghats, there has always been a pull between development and environmental goals, with some communities justifiably demanding that they be allowed to work the land for their survival and economic benefit. On the other hand, there are calls to protect this biodiversity hotspot. Can NBS offer a more balanced path? I think what's important to bring out here is that currently in India, a large part of our population is actually reliant on agriculture as well as forestry and, of course, allied sectors. And nature-based solutions really serve as a route to protect as well as enhance those livelihoods which are engaged in these sectors. So again, to give you an example, let's take agroforestry, right? It's a traditional way of combining trees with crops. It's an effective example of a nature-based solution because not only does it enhance income streams, but it helps build soil health. You know, it allows us to look at carbon capture as well. And you're looking at 17% now of the global carbon storage is actually in forest lands, which are managed by indigenous populations and local communities. So we have to recognize their stewardship and their contribution in keeping these carbon stores intact. These communities, you know, can be compensated through really innovative nature-based solution models. So we do need to think about, you know, how to bring communities in in a larger way and how our nature-based solutions really allow us to do that. That is the kind of forward thinking we want to see around nature-based solutions. There are two lenses through which we can approach nature-based solutions within climate action. 
mitigation, and adaptation. Mitigation refers to addressing the root cause of the climate problem. Climate change mitigation is focused on reducing our greenhouse gas emissions or pulling carbon back out of the atmosphere. NBS can play a critical role in mitigation, most prominently by storing carbon in sinks like oceans, forests, and soil. This facet of NBS is widely recognized due to growing carbon markets around the world. But what we don't talk about enough is adaptation. We're already seeing the fallouts of climate impacts on our people and ecosystems. Adaptation simply refers to actions that can protect them. For example, growing mangroves to buffer against coastal flooding or planting green corridors to manage heat waves in cities. Thinking beyond physical buffers, NBS often generate additional incomes for local communities, which can help them get through climate shocks and stresses. Adaptation is also often overlooked by financing because it is context-specific, long-term, and can be difficult to monetize. Unlike carbon markets that are connected globally, adaptation's benefits are limited to local communities. There's also a perceived risk-to-return ratio that is less attractive to financial institutions because adaptation projects take time to show impact. Satya Tripathi, the Secretary-General of the Global Alliance for a Sustainable Planet, calls for us to refocus our attention. Since 1992, we have the Rio Conventions, the UNFCCC, the Kyoto Protocol. And so we've been talking for roughly 30 years now, and uh, it has been singularly focused on mitigation. Adaptation is about lives, livelihoods, people, ecosystems, species, and it's a good thing for everybody in the local agroclimatic zones, you know, or the microclimates that we live in, uh, although they all impact the broader climate. NBS is kind of the central idea that brings adaptation into focus. What does a nature-based solution look like? At its heart, it's a solution that depends deeply on local context. We've also, I mean, globally come a very, very long way in realizing that people who live on land and are dependent on land, and sometimes who have lived on this land for centuries, are actually stewards of this land. And they have the first set of rights to not just land, but also the resources there. It's not about a set of experts parachuting into an area, taking over and implementing a range of techniques which we think will generate the benefits that we want while excluding everyone else. This is about making sure that there is balance, there is consent, and there is collaboration and partnership and buy-in from local communities. And it is equally about working within the natural pace of ecosystem functions so nature can recover and replenish. If you drive through semi-urban or rural India right after the monsoons and say between July and November, you'll see that there are a lot of trees that have just spontaneously grown all over the place, right? These are not trees that have been planted. In fact, these were trees that had been heavily logged either because people wanted fuel wood or they wanted fodder or for whatever other reason. But the rootstock still remained under the ground. And so the moment there was water that was available and the climatic conditions were conducive, these trees spontaneously grew. So this is about nature doing its job well when it has the right sort of sets of conditions. So NBS is about nature doing its job 
A term that comes up often in discussions around NBS is co-benefits. What exactly are they? It impacts not just climate, for instance, or biodiversity. It has a multiple set of impacts on other areas that we care about or other sort of development sector issues or human level in, you know, indicators that we care about. As a nation, India is committed to meeting a range of developmental and environmental goals from the SDGs to net zero emissions. And these require collaborative action on many fronts. NBS interventions may be focused on environmental goals, like getting more organic matter into soil, but they can also have other outcomes, like giving people ways to earn more money or improve their health or quality of life. The uh, World Resources Institute did an analysis recently, and they found that by restoring degraded landscapes in Siddhi, that could actually lead to 3,000 micro-enterprises. It could employ 30,000 people, including women, and youth, and of course, landless residents. It would allow them to sequester more than 7 million metric tons of carbon over a decade or two. And seeing this and realizing this, the Madhya Pradesh government, which was already at the time a front runner in implementing India's Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, or NREGA, actually indicated a strong interest in pursuing this initiative as an avenue to really build back better in light of the pandemic. So for them, they've opted to use nature-based solutions as a means of recovery and of building back their economy and of providing a means of income generation for their communities and their people. Forests, especially very diverse and old ones, are huge storehouses of carbon. This is primarily due to the uptake of carbon by plants and trees as they grow, but there's also an important connection with soil. A vast quantity of carbon is stored in the soil, and a concerted effort to improve agricultural practices has the potential to build soil carbon over time. But it takes time and dedicated effort. There are many technological interventions that draw carbon out of the atmosphere. But what sets NBS apart is the number of other benefits that go along with this removal. And that's across a range of microclimates and habitats. And again, nature-based solutions allow us to place an emphasis on preserving this local biodiversity, right? It's critical in a country like India where there is so much competition for land. In late 2021, at the 26th United Nations Conference on Climate Change, or COP26, India pledged that it will reach net zero emissions by 2070. It is one amongst its several commitments to fight climate change, like the Bond Challenge, which is a global effort to restore 350 million hectares of land by 2030. Today, India's NBS programs are largely driven by the government. But when complex programs such as these are driven by a single stakeholder, they tend to take on the attributes and limitations of that stakeholder, something that collaboration has the potential to solve. Rohini walks us through some of the roadblocks she believes exist today, such as a siloed approach to implementation. I might, you know, as a forest officer in the implementation of a forest program, cordon off a forest area and say no more grazing in this area, no more fuel wood collection. That's fair enough. I'm well within my rights to do that. However, what happens to all that cattle that was grazing there? They're not going to disappear overnight. In the absence of an alternative, all that's going to happen is that they will move to the crop plants and they will severely degrade the crop plants. So what we need is for a program or a strategy or a policy that looks at both of these together. As competing demands over land increase and land parcels shrink, their productivity changes. 
and as regulations determine their use, conflict is bound to intensify. In India, governments, indigenous communities, civil society organizations and private corporations at local and international levels all contend for access and decision-making power over the use of land. Demands on land and incident conflicts are so widespread. They're wiping off billions of dollars of our economy just because we haven't been able to get things right on the ground and to make those decisions about, you know, what land should be used for, who should benefit and who gets to decide. There are conflicts because land has been double counted. It's both recorded as forest and it's recorded as patta land or land under agriculture. And so the person who holds a piece of paper from the government saying that this land belongs to me is often termed as an encroacher by the forest department and faces eviction. So there is a real, real problem on the ground when it comes to just determining who owns land. Rohini is referring to how inefficiency in governance systems, in this case record-keeping, have led to injustices that keep communities outside of any decision-making on the natural resources they rely on. In many parts of the country, laws that are meant to protect communities are not implemented effectively. For example, the Forest Rights Act of 2006 or the Panchayat Extension to Scheduled Areas Act of 1996, they are meant to guarantee the constitutional right to decision-making on land issues, but are still to be implemented in many parts of the country. A major challenge to scaling nature-based solutions is the lack of financing. Yet, there is immense potential to unlock investment. The ICC Edelgib Foundation Alliance report points out that nearly all of the funding is currently public. In fact, 94.4% of the initiatives are undertaken by government agencies, while NGOs contribute to only 3.6% of initiatives and private companies contribute an even smaller 2%. Philanthropic capital can be a catalyst for scaling and speeding up action. It recognizes the longer timeframes required when working on environmental problems. NBS projects take time to bear fruit, and this needs continuous, dedicated and reliable streams of financing. And that's why blending different pools of finance can successfully move NBS projects forward, and we'll get into this in our next episode. Satya Tripathi believes that the world is currently focused on supply-side conversations, discussed at many a big conference with experts showcasing the latest new technological solution to our climate problems. The financial landscape is shifting, but where are the investments? That's extremely hard. So we know intrinsically how difficult it is to really build the demand side, you know, work with people at the grassroots, the actors that will actually make a difference and how do you strengthen that, how do you bring the resources they need and bring the thought leadership into that, shine the spotlight on them. So it's a whole set of things you have to do to build the demand side and there's very little happening. In the absence of that, the supply side conversation, even the meaningful ones will only remain that, a supply side conversation. In our next episode, we look to the believers working on NBS and we ask them to walk us deeper into the financing landscape for NBS in India and what they think it needs to be. Thanks to Rohini Chaturvedi, Satya Tripathi and Shloka Nath. For more information on the India Climate Collaborative and its work on nature-based solutions or to read a copy of the report, please visit indiaclimatecollaborative.org. 
You can also follow the ICC on LinkedIn at India Climate Collaborative.